What's going on, people? Hello, welcome back to the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR100. We made it to triple digits, and I would take time to celebrate that fact, but it is week one of the NFL, and that is way more important to me. So who gives a shit about what number episode this is? Let's talk football, because it's that time of the year. We're done doing our team previews. We are done doing our summer research, and we are ready to attack the lines for week one this year. There are a number of spreads that I've been looking at for the last uh, two months or so since the week one lines have come out. You know, one of those spreads was the Buffalo Bills for the Thursday night kickoff. We're 1-0 on game picks so far this season. Had the Bills to beat the Rams. Actually had a bet locked in on the Buffalo Bills since the first week of the preseason. I have had an open parlay that I have been waiting to cash for the last month or so. And we are well on our way with two out of the three legs done. We need the Chargers to win this Sunday to close that one out. So before I get into my game previews, I do just want to give you guys a few general week one tra- uh, excuse me, stats and trends, trats, I guess, um, that are going to you know get us through this week. They're going to provide us with some insight on some of the angles that we're going to be attacking and approaching. You know, just to start, in general, week one, usually a pretty gross week. You know, a lot of these quote-unquote experts will tell you to be conservative week one and you know, to not go and like jump all in on some of these uh, these fishy lines that may be out there. I say fuck that. You know, I put in enough work over the summer where I'm ready to attack these lines and see where my perception on these teams does not meet public perception. You guys will hear me say that like a broken record this season. That is the name of the game. I want to catch value where my opinion of a team and the opinions of the jackasses on ESPN don't line up. So that's what we're going to be doing this season. I can't wait for you guys to ride with me. Week one trends. Let's take a look at just the 2021 season. Last year, week one underdogs went 12 and four against the spread. If you go all the way back to 2005, which is where a lot of this data comes from, underdogs overall are 140, 125, and six against the spread. So... Yeah, that's not an overwhelming trend, but recent history, it definitely, uh, it, it, it definitely picks up there. So <clears throat> not only are we looking at dogs, but there are several specific situations that we're looking to play dogs in. So let's, uh, let's walk through them a little bit here. First off, you always want to pay attention to where the cash splits are in a game. Uh, major red flags for me are when, you know, there's a large discrepancy, heavy amount of tickets on team A, but heavy amount of cash on team B, or if just the general public and betting market is saturated, you know, 80, 20 split on the tickets, I'll usually, you know, fade that action. It'll usually kind of send off, um, my, my contrarian spidey sense here where I say, hold on, is this too good to be true? What's going on? Is Vegas suckering the public in on this line? And that's usually what they're doing. So um, week one dogs that are getting less than 50% of the closing cash amount, 39 and 24 against the spread, that's 61.9%. Going further into that, uh, week one underdogs who missed the playoffs in the previous year, since 2005, 73, 46, and 4 against the spread. That's also good for 61%, 61.3% to be exact. They cover those games by an average of 3.44 points per game. So those are dogs who missed the playoffs last year coming into week one. 
Uh, to pile on to that, you know, the continuing trend of betting on bad teams or undervalued teams. Week one teams that won between four and six games last year beat the spread by an average of 3.78 points per game in week one. So you're looking to take some of those middle of the pack to meet to like below average teams <clears throat> that could potentially see. Um, you know, a step up this year. I, you know, on the inverse of that, teams that won between zero and three games last year, they don't do well in week one. They're 12 and nine against the spread from 2005. So you're not really looking to pick the bottom of the barrel. Let's take the Jets, for example. Like, I'm not really looking to go out of my way to bet the Jets here. But teams in that more middling range, like the Texans and, you know, maybe even the Giants, if you want to make an argument, the Bears, I guess, in week one, they're usually a little bit friskier. And on top of that, um, let's keep going with the week one dogs trends. We'll, we'll look at uh, dogs of six and a half or more points in week one, 43 and 27 against the spread, 61.4% hit rate over the last 70 occurrences. And on top of that, one step further into this week one dogs trend, if we look at divisional matchups in week one, divisional underdogs since 2005 in week one, 58 and 36 and two against the spread. That's 61.7%. They end up, they end up covering by 1.96 points per game. And on top of that, week one divisional dogs since 2015, 28, nine and one against the spread. So I will, uh, I will try to remind you guys of those uh, trends as we go through the games that they apply to here. My plan for this episode is to really spend more time on the games that I am more interested in and that I have done more research for, that I have stronger opinions, stronger angles, games that I will be betting. I would like to front load these episodes with those. I don't really want to waste your guys' time. I will cover all the games, but there may be some that we spend eight minutes on. There may be some that we spend, you know, a minute and a half on. We'll see. So I hope you guys enjoy the game picks this week. This is most likely the format that I'm going to be sticking to throughout the season. So let's not waste any more time, and let's get into it. So I said I wanted to start this episode out strong, and if you ask me, I'm coming out of the gate swinging here with this one. We're going to break down the Steelers and Bengals matchup here, 1 o'clock kickoff on Sunday. The Bengals coming off a Super Bowl appearance. Everybody's, you know, golden boy this offseason. Joey Burrow in this upstart Bengals squad with their new offensive weapons, their shiny new toys, and their, their uh, you know, soon-to-be indoor practice facility out there in Cincy. The Bengals are minus 6.5-point favorites. Uh, minus 270 on the money line, Pittsburgh plus 220 on the money line, over-unders 44.5, excuse me, guys. And this is a game that I want to start with because I have a very strong opinion on it. This is one of my favorite picks of the week, and I'm giving it to you right here off the bat in this episode. I love the Steelers, plus 6.5 here. I told you guys we're going to be betting on dogs this weekend. We're going to be betting on divisional dogs. We're going to be betting on gross teams that the public is not looking at as far as the value on these teams. Um, this Steelers team is so fucking gritty. So fucking gritty. They are going to fight in this game. They're going to play tough defense. The public is going to look at this and say it's Joe Burrow and last year's AFC champs versus the Steelers and Mitch Trubisky. There's no reason for the public, you know, to have any sort of belief in the Steelers offense right now with a bad O-line. And again, first year without Big Ben, what does it look like? We don't know. 
Well, I'll tell you this. Mike Tomlin gets his boys ready to fucking play, okay? Mike Tomlin as an underdog, as a head coach, is 45-24 and 24 against the spread, okay? And then we look at some of our divisional dog trends in this matchup. We've got a lot of trends that I named at the beginning of this web or at the beginning of this episode that apply here, guys. So, as a divisional dog, the Steelers fit that trend of 58-36 and 2 against the spread, hitting 61.7% since 2005. Also 28-9 and 1 against the spread since 2015. So Tomlin's a dog. We got a divisional dog here. They also fit the divisional dog of plus six and a, of six and a half or more, going 34-27 against the spread. That's another 61% trend. So things are looking good here. Throw on top of that. Oh man, I can't wait to fucking fade this Bengals team here. I cannot wait to fade them, okay? Super Bowl losers in week one over the last 26 seasons. 5-21 and 21 against the spread. 26 years, 5 covers for Super Bowl losers in Week 1 the following season. The Super Bowl hangover is real, okay? And it's going to catch up with this Bengals team. They overachieved in the postseason to begin with. They should not have been in the Super Bowl. I have said it all summer on my team previews. This team got lucky as fuck, and, you know, not to dive full deep into the conspiracies right off the bat here, but the refs helped them out a little bit in that postseason. Anyways... The public's all over the Bengals, and this Steelers team is constantly undervalued. Getting six and a half here in a divisional matchup in week one is disrespectful. This team is disrespected really consistently over the last four years or so. This might be the team that I bet the most against the spread and from a future standpoint over the last four or five years because they're just constantly getting value. The defense is great, and I think that they can, uh, they'll, be, they'll be able to show fight against this Bengals team. Yeah, the offense, like I said, a lot of receivers. A lot of shiny weapons, even an upgraded O-line this offseason. But Tomlin's going to have the boys ready to play. If you can remember, this Steelers team upset the Bills as a six-and-a-half-point road dog in Week 1 last year. This looks like a very similar situation to me. So I mentioned that the Super Bowl hangover, 5-21 and 21 ATS in Week 1 for these Super Bowl losers. If you want to get a little bit more in detail on this, look a little bit closer and throw some random fucking variables in there. I found a stat on Twitter today that I found to be very interesting. In Week 1, Super Bowl losers who kept their playoff opponents to less than 85 total points and generated three or more turnovers throughout the playoffs. So this is a Super Bowl loser coming off a great defensive run throughout the postseason, just like the Bengals of last year. 4-10 and ten straight up, um, failing to, uh, excuse me, 4-10 and ten straight up, losing the game by 4.5 points per game. 0-14 against the spread, failing to cover by 7.68 points per game. 4-9-1 over under, so that's... Nine unders in 15 games, going under by 5.32 points per game. Also, in the last six matchups between the Steelers and the Bengals, the under is 5-1, and one, uh, totaling an average of 38.5 points per game. So the over-under here is 44.5. And if you're telling me that these trends indicate that the Bengals will not only fail to cover the 6.5, but the game will go under, I think Pittsburgh's live for an outright upset here, to be honest. Every Sunday, I'm going to be releasing my top three picks against the spread and my top three money line underdog upset picks of the week. And I did very well on these last year. 
I'm going to have the Steelers most likely as one of my favorite spreads here looking at this six and a half jumping off the page. And the money line is, it's alive, guys. It's a possibility. If we're sitting here next week talking about how the fuck did Mitch Trubisky beat Joe Burrow, uh, just come back and listen to this segment, I guess. So I really like Pittsburgh this weekend. I'm going to be betting them plus six and a half, and I think you should too. Um, this Bengals team just a little overhyped, a little, a little bit of regression coming this season, I think. So give me Tomlin and the boys to show up, you know, ready to fucking go. Last thing I want to say about this game, just as a little bonnet here, a little nugget. Pat Fryermuth is a guy that I'll be targeting from a player prop perspective this Sunday. Um, the Bengals last year gave up the fourth most receptions to the tight end position, and I think Fryermuth could uh, serve as a pretty strong checkdown option for Trubisky in the early going here. Um, also, Deontay Johnson questionable with a shoulder injury, so if he's out, we could see an influx of targets to Fryermuth over the middle. Um, without Deontay Johnson getting that underneath work that he, you know, usually eats up. So I like the Steelers in this spot, plus six and a half as the dog. So let's jump over to another one o'clock kickoff on Sunday. And if you guys thought it was gross taking the Steelers to cover at Cincinnati, you're really going to hate this one because I'm taking the Texans plus seven and a half against the Colts at home this weekend. The Colts are minus 340 on the money line. And the, the home team, Houston, plus 270. The over-under is 45 and a half here. And I'm not going to be putting Houston Moneyline on my picks. You know, the official picks will not have a Houston upset pick. And um, it will not be one of my top three underdog picks. That said, this number is too big for a week one dog. I, I, I'll say it a thousand times this episode. Week one divisional dogs. 61% since 2005. Week one er, dogs, 28 and 9 and 1 against the spread since 2015. Week one dogs of six and a half or more, 61.4% against the spread. So there's too many trends in the favor. On top of that, this Colts team, you know, we've seen them have very little success opening the season recently. They're 1 and 11 straight up in their last 12 week one games including 0-8 over the last eight years. Frank Reich's never won a week one game with this Colts team. And it even extends into the previous regimen there. Um, yeah, divisional dog at home. These, these shitty teams, <laughs> like the Texans and the Lions and the Jets, and some of these teams that you know just in a month or two are not going to have any hope. Week one sometimes is kind of the most dangerous spot to catch them. Houston, actually, if you guys remember... Um, Houston won outright as an underdog in week one last year because they were a team that was being disrespected and given no shot to compete, and they had a divisional game at home that was winnable. I don't want to call this one winnable. I think the Colts are a much better team than the Jaguars, who Houston was able to take advantage of last year. But that said, you know, too many points. Again, just too many points for a week one matchup. This line indicates that if it's an Indy, it's a 13 and a half point spread and that's too many points to be laying you know in week one really anytime if we can look at the houston side for a quick minute i think they're being a little bit disrespected the offense has some guys that can keep up a little bit and i think just from a locker room standpoint and a coaching standpoint lovey smith the new head coach of the texans 
Um, he's actually 9-2 and two against the spread as a divisional dog of seven or more points in his career as a head coach in the NFL. And Lovey in a week one situation where he's had all summer to get these guys to say, hey, who fucking cares? You know, we, nobody's given us a shot to begin with. It's us against the world. Let's go, us against the world. Let's go shock everybody week one and take care of a divisional opponent. Again, not calling for the upset, but seven and a half is too much. It, it actually has been bet down from eight and a half over the last week or so. And that looks like sharp money coming in on the market to me. So give me the Texans to keep this one more competitive than people think. I don't have really a confident pick on the over-under. I'm not telling you that the Texans will win this game. But if you're looking at the Colts minus one and a half as a layup teaser, or if you're looking at that seven and a half as a gimme, I'm just telling you, you know, uh, beware, beware, because this one looks a little sneaky, a little stinky to me. Last thing I have to say about this matchup, the Colts not completely healthy for this week one. Uh, star middle linebacker Shaquille Leonard has officially um, been announced as out for this weekend. So that's not great. Maybe Houston able to move the ball more than people would expect. And also the Colts offensive line, uh, their starting left tackle is Matt Pryor this weekend. Uh, it looks like he's the starting left tackle for the season. And as a Colts fan and as a uh, holder of a Colts to win the AFC South future, that's concerning to me. You know, Matt Pryor is a former sixth-round pick at right guard for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he's starting at left tackle for this Colts team. So I have my concerns um, just from a health standpoint. I think getting Darius Leonard back on that defense will be huge from them, but they don't have him this weekend. So, again, just something to be aware of here. The next game that I want to talk about is the Packers at the Vikings this Sunday. We're jumping into that 425 kickoff time frame, and we're sticking with the divisional matchups. You know, I didn't do this on purpose, but I'm thinking we might as well just start this episode with all the divisional games because it just happens to be, by coincidence, they are some of the games I'm most interested in. They're some of the games with the most telling trends and stats that we can apply to them. And uh, there's some really intriguing you know, narratives and storylines. The Packers have given us plenty to talk about uh, for the last three or four off seasons here. Aaron Rodgers on his little podcast tour, you know, I just, I'm not going to sit here and call Rodgers a douchebag or anything. I'm a Rodgers fan. So I don't like to tank the the low-hanging fruit that there is with the whole ayahuasca jokes and the Joe Rogan shit and stuff. But it, it is, it, it's funny. It's a little bit funny, I can't lie, that he's out here doing all these these podcasts and talking about his, his fucking crazy trips and things like that. Um, but, it, you know, this is football. This isn't, you know, a, a sweat lodge in the Amazon. Um, the Vikings here are one and a half point home dogs in week one. They're minus 102 on the money line with the Green Bay Packers at a minus 116 favorite. And the over under right now is at 47. Was it 47 and a half yesterday? I believe it's hovering around that number. Um, but look, this is a game where I'm eyeing another home divisional dog as a potential upset. This fits a lot of our week one trends. Let's go through it again. Week one divisional dog since 2005, 61.7%. Week one divisional dog since 2015, 75.7%. Also in this game, I like the over quite a bit here. The over in this, uh, the last four matchups between the Vikings and Packers, it's hit all four times. And in the Vikings games last season where the over-under was at 47 or less, that happened six times. They hit all six of them. 
for the Packers, they were in nine games last year with the over-under of 47 or less, and they hit in six of them. So that's two-thirds for the Packers and 100% for the Vikings last year. This is two strong offenses. I think the Vikings offense actually has potential to be even better this year, and they already were putting up some some pretty sweet numbers on the regular through that passing game with Dillon and, and Jefferson, and then uh, Dalvin Cooks is as explosive as it gets on the ground. Um, I think uh, I think Green Bay maybe some chemistry issues early on on offense here that that helps uh, the Vikings you know snag this week one and get a leg up on the division. Last year um, this series was split one to one with the home team winning each. Uh, Minnesota an underrated home uh, home field advantage in the NFL playing up in that spaceship in Minnesota under the glass dome. Um, I don't have the record in front of me, but the Vikings have fared well at home in recent history. And the, the, the Packers, I mentioned, maybe some chemistry issues early. Alan Lazard, you know, theoretically Rodgers' number one red zone target this year as the outside receiver and kind of alpha in that offense. You know, he's doubtful right now with an ankle injury. And then on the offensive line, David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, both um, questionable right now. Uh, yeah, we'll see if the offense isn't fully healthy. I mean, obviously no Devonte Adams. I think the Packers long-term will be fine this year, but week one, let's also not forget that the, the Packers were, this is the same team that went and got throttled, uh, what, thir- 38 to three versus the Saints week one last year that was down in the Florida heat. So maybe that had something to do with it, but for this Packers team to potentially start slow and this Vikings team with a new head coach and a new offensive scheme to come kind of come out and surprise some people, that's my pick. I'm going to take the Vikings with the upset here at home. Uh, and then the Packers will probably get it together going forward and still end up winning 13 games because that's just what they do. But I like this one quite a bit. You know, I mentioned there's a few spreads I've been looking at over the course of really this summer and the Bills, the Steelers. This Vikings uh, this Vikings spread was one as well. It's uh, it's been at plus one, you know, one and a half pretty much all summer. And I think Joe Schmo is is just looking to take that easy Packers money line when it in reality it won't be so easy. Let's jump into another divisional matchup while we're here. We got the Chargers minus three and a half at home taking on the visiting Las Vegas Raiders. The Chargers are minus 184 on the money line. Las Vegas plus 154. Over-under is 52 and a half. And I've mentioned a couple of times our divisional dogs trends here, hitting at a 61.7 rate since 05 and a 75% rate since 2015. Also on top of that, the Chargers 15 and 22 against the spread in home games since moving to Los Angeles. And Justin Herbert, 5-9 and nine against the spread as a favorite of three or more. That said, give me the Chargers. I don't care. The funny thing about stats is you can, you know, they can go both ways there, you know. And I, you know, I know I just, I've, I've used these trends in my favor on this episode throughout. But in this game, I'm going to tell you, I don't care. I'm throwing them out. They won't hit every time. As you can see, 61% gives us a large margin for error here. This is one of the games that I'm willing to stick my neck out and say that these trends will not apply. The Chargers, three and a half. First off, rule of thumb in gambling you take the two and a half, you lay the three and a half. These books are trying to steal your money. That is what they do. 
These Vegas sports books have been in business for half a century, maybe longer. I don't know. I should do more research. What I'm saying is they are masters of reverse psychology behind these books. And if you can catch on to that and you can start to learn how to fade your initial gut instinct a little bit, like I have over the last few years to where my fucking gut is completely reversed on what it really should be. And somehow it helps me win football games. I'm looking at this and I'm saying I will gladly lay the hook on that three and a half. Give me the Chargers to handle business. I believe in this Chargers team. I believe in the personnel they have added over this season. If you look at the way that the sports books are indicating the overall success of these teams coming into the season, it is overwhelming how much more confidence the sports books have in this Chargers team to do things like win their division or make the playoffs or compete for the Super Bowl compared to this Raiders team. And I know the Raiders were in the playoffs last year and I know that they brought in Devontae Adams and I know that they signed Chandler Jones and I know that they did a lot of very impressive things this offseason but this Chargers team is ready to legitimately compete where this Raiders team I'm sorry but with the new head coach I think there's maybe some turnover here um, I think the defense regresses quite a bit now they have a pass rush but to be honest they don't have much else Besides the whole Max Crosby, Chandler Jones tandem there, I don't like their second level at all in that defense. And I think Justin Herbert's going to fuck this team up through the air. So I like the Chargers quite a bit here. Lay the three and a half. I mentioned I have had a parlay open since week one of the preseason. That parlay was the Ravens money line week one because you just take the Ravens in the preseason no matter what. It was the Bills minus one and a half last night. And the last leg of it is the Chargers to cover or to win on the money line minus 200. I was not fucking around with the three and a half on a uh, you know month in advance parlay. That said, I'll probably double down. I'll probably go ahead and lay the hook here. This is one of my favorite picks of the weekend as well. I don't care what those trends are implying. I will take Justin Herbert to take a step up in leadership, in accountability, and in being able to get the job done this season. Give me the Chargers. We got another divisional matchup to break down here as the Patriots head down to South Beach to take on the Dolphins. Miami, a three-and-a-half point home favorite, minus 172 on the money line. New England, plus 144 as the dog, over under 46-and-a-half. And this is another game where you could take those divisional dog trends and apply them here. 61% since uh, 2005. 75% since 2015. You could also look at the head coaching matchup and say, hey, Bill Belichick, 21-13 and against the spread with extra time to prepare. 11-0 straight up in his NFL career against rookie head coaches. Hey, man, first time for everything, right? Make that 11-1 after this week. Give me the Dolphins to cover as the favorite at home versus Billy B. This New England team, a lot of question marks for me. You know, I'll just tell you straight up, I am a bigger believer in the Dolphins for the season this year. I think New England making a lot of changes to that offense, trying to implement the zone running scheme here. And really, the the identity of that offense was the power running scheme last year. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how Mac Jones looks in his second year here. Not many pass-catching weapons to get excited about. And if the run game is, you know, basically undergoing a complete overhaul and scheme... I'm kind of worried as far as what the cohesion is going to look like on offense for New England. Miami, on the other hand, you know, I was considering doing an episode here this offseason and time just slipped away from me of maybe like the top five teams that I'm most excited to watch this season. 
just in reference to like offseason changes, maybe head coaching changes or upgraded personnel. The Dolphins make that list for me. Minus three and a half here. I just talked about being willing to lay the hook there at the three and a half on the wrong side of it. And I'll, I'm willing to do it again here for Miami. I think that McDaniel comes in here and, and the offensive system that he brings over from Shanahan there, I think he's going to be able to get his guys into space and be able to get creative here, even if it is against a Belichick defense. You know, the, the continuity at the coaching staff in New England, Matt Patricia calling plays and Joe Judge doing whatever the fuck he's doing over there. I don't really trust them to have their shit together on the offensive side of the ball like I do with the Dolphins here. And maybe Belichick just keeps that defense, you know, on par. And that's how I end up on the wrong side of this one. But again, I really think that uh, Miami, you know, with the upgrade, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, that's a lot of speed at receiver. And I think that we're, the Dolphins are going to surprise some people. I'm not a Tua hater by any means. I'm not a Tua, you know, truther by any means. I'm, I'm not putting a gold jacket on Tua. But do I think he can he can facilitate offense at an NFL level? Absolutely. We've seen the Shanahan system be, you know, very simple for quarterbacks to kind of act as a point guard and a distributor. I talked about it on my 49ers episode about how Trey Lance really doesn't have to put the team on his back because that role in the 49ers, Niners offense you don't have to be Patrick Mahomes in order to move the ball with the zone running scheme and the quick screens and this and that and I just think that Miami their offense is going to be much more exciting to watch this year and I like them you know to handle business here and get off to you know maybe a surprisingly hot start with the general public more likely more confident in more trustworthy in uh the consistency of that Patriots program. Give me the Dolphins to take a step up this year and, and give me the Dolphins to win in week one. So honestly, this is the divisional matchup with the least interest to me personally. We got the Saints heading to Atlanta. Atlanta's a plus five and a half home dog. New Orleans minus 225. Atlanta plus 190. Over-unders 42 and a half. And, you know, aside from the same old divisional dog trends that I've repeated time and time again, uh, week one, 61.7% since 05 and 75% since 2015. There's not much else that I have here. I will tell you, Atlanta also looks to be getting less than 50% of the cash currently, and I don't expect with these splits for that to change come closing time on the line Sunday afternoon. Uh, they will fit that trend of week one dogs uh, getting less percent of the cash. On top of that, anytime you're getting you know a home team that's getting less than half the cash, that's going to jump off the page to me as being potentially a live dog. Atlanta comes into this game with super low expectations, and I'm very high on the Saints. Um, I have the Saints as a playoff team this year. I have them at 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. But in reality, they don't always start hot. I mentioned that they did beat the Packers week one last year, but in recent history, the the trend is not in their favor in weeks one and two of the season as far as being able to get covers straight out of the gate. We do have a new head coach here, Dennis Allen, and I think they'll be fine, but you know, we'll see if he can come out and just smash an opponent right away. It's a divisional dog. I think Marcus Mariona gets hated on just a little bit too much. I don't know. I probably won't talk myself into betting the Falcons, but for this game, I'm doing picks here, and I'll tell you, I'm leaning with the Atlanta Falcons plus five and a half to be able to keep this one a little bit close. It's one of the lowest over-unders of this entire slate here. Might actually be the lowest. Uh, nah, the, uh, the, the Panthers game and the 49ers game actually lower. But aside from that, we're looking...
looking at 42 and a half and I'm not sure I'm really comfortable laying uh, five and a half points on the road in a divisional matchup with a pretty low projected point total. So I will, for the sake of this pick, take the Falcons, um, although I am not in love with it and probably will be looking to bet other games this Sunday. So now that the divisional matchups are out of the way, let's jump into some of these wild card games that we've got here. And the first one that I will break down here is the Philadelphia Eagles heading up to Detroit to take on this year's hard knock Cinderella story, the Detroit Lions. I know Motor City Dan Campbell has captivated the hearts of America, but I got tough news for you. Detroit does not win this weekend. Philly minus 198 on the money line. Detroit plus 166 as a home dog. Over-under is 48.5. I expect this to be a higher-scoring game. Um, the only way I see it going under is if Detroit just sucks ass on offense and the Eagles just beat the shit out of them. You know, I am an Eagles fan, so take this with a grain of salt. I, I, just the biggest thing for me, because I actually was trying to talk myself into Detroit plus 4.5 here. They are one of these home dogs. And, you know, for me, it comes down to a little bit of fade in the public. I think that, um, you know, America likes betting on these hard knocks teams. I think America wants to root for Detroit this year. They're kind of everybody's darling Cinderella team, like I said. And even though I am higher on Detroit than I think um, most, you know, just casual fans are this season, um, and I do think they can, you know, eclipse maybe six or seven wins as opposed to that three-win mark last year. I think this is a bad matchup on paper. Philly absolutely butt-fucked this team, what, 44-6, to I think, last year. Um, absolutely destroyed this team. It was something like that. It was an absolute blowout. And I think, yeah, just scheme-wise, I don't think this Detroit defense can do anything to stop our running game. The Eagles have the best O-line in the league. And last year, they really didn't have to throw much to put up 40 points on this team because they just were cramming it down their throats. I see a lot of that, you know, not changing. This this Lions team got better this offseason, but mainly on the offensive side of the ball for me. And their defense, to me, they still have a lot to upgrade on that defense to where I don't see them hanging with Philly. Philly made a lot of upgrades in terms of personnel this offseason. A.J. Brown, you know, they should get involved and maybe provide more explosion to that offense. I'm in on Jalen Hurts to take a leap this year. Um, in terms of maybe being a little bit more consistent and maybe having some some more success downfield as a passer. And really the biggest uh, turning point for me in this, guys, um, injury on the uh, Lions offensive line. The Lions, uh, by sharp football, have the fourth-ranked offensive line in the league this year. But uh, their starting uh, right guard, uh, Halapulavati Vaitai, is out this weekend. Um, I think he's on the IR right now, so he could be missing the next month or so, if I remember that correctly. And on a top of that, uh, starting center, Pro Bowl center, Frank Ragnow, currently questionable with an injury. And Halapulavati Vaitai's replacement at guard, um, Tommy Kramer, also uh, limited in practice this week questionable with an injury. Ragnow and Kramer both did not practice on Thursday, which is generally a pretty big deal if you're looking at these injury reports throughout the week. Those who do not practice towards the end of the week on Thursday, you know, it's not a great sign. Wednesday, Thursday, those big days for practice. Friday walkthrough, we're not too worried about it. But um, if this Lions offensive line is banged up or missing starters, this Eagles D-line may be the best in the league. No exaggeration. We're seven deep on the D-line. We can absolutely get after the quarterback this year. We got Brandon Graham, um, Fletcher Cox, and Javon Hargrave. Those are three of the best power rush um, 
defensive lineman in the NFL right there from an internal pass rush standpoint. And then we got some finesse guys on the outside, Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett. And uh, don't even don't even forget about uh, rookie 360-pound nose tackle Jordan Davis. I don't see this O-line being able to stand up to that front if they're banged up this Sunday and missing starters. So that's my big angle for this. Check the injury report Sunday morning. If you see Detroit's O-line is missing a couple of guys, I think Philly could fuck them up pretty bad here. So that's my take on that. So another road favorite I feel confident in this weekend to maybe just beat the shit out of their opponent is the Baltimore Ravens. They're minus seven and a half point road favorites at the Jets, minus 330 on the money line, New York plus 265 to pull off the upset, and the over-under is 44 and a half. Just eyeballing this, give me Baltimore laying the hook on the seven and a half and give me the under at 44 and a half. This Jets team fucking sucks. I don't understand. If anybody out there has an angle for the Jets here, let me know how they avoid Baltimore just cramming it down their throat this Sunday. They're going to run the ball so far down this Jets team's gullet, it is going to hurt physically. Um, Joe Flacco revenge game, that's the narrative here. But, dude, Baltimore's about to beat the fuck out of Flacco this Sunday. I'm sorry. Big big, uh, part of that for me is uh, another team here with offensive line issues. Um, The Jets already lost left tackle Mekhi Becton for the season. um, And then their replacement for him, left tackle Dwayne Brown, uh, also out this Sunday now with an injury. So we've got backup offensive linemen. And Joe Flacco at QB for a Jets team that's a seven and a half point dog here to a very good Ravens team. Lamar Jackson revenge season, you know, chip on his shoulder here. I think he's going to show the world exactly what he's made of this season. And I think it starts in week one. The Jets do fit our trend of a week one dog of six and a half more points, 43 and 27 against the spread. But like I said, you got to pick and choose where you think these trends apply and where they don't. You know, when you're talking about percentages of of 60%, you know, six out of four, yeah, that's great over the long haul, but the the statistic does not apply to the individual. And so in this case, I don't think the trend applies. Give me the Ravens to just run the fucking ball all Sunday afternoon. John Harbaugh in 14 seasons as a head coach with the Ravens, 10 and four against the spread in week one. And we've seen a lot of recent success with Lamar just putting up video game numbers against inferior opponents week one. The Jets have no fucking shot here. So we just talked about Joe Flacco facing his former team with Baltimore, and we've got another quarterback revenge game here to discuss. The Cleveland Browns and the Carolina Panthers meet down in Charlotte in the Baker Mayfield Bowl. Carolina minus one and a half as a home favorite, minus 118 on the money line. Cleveland plus 100 in this game as a money line dog, over under 41 and a half. This is a tough game to pick for me. I don't really have the most concrete pick here. I will go with the Panthers. And my main reason for that is Jacoby Brissett, not very good at football. Brissett, you know, the, the one of the better backups in the league, but guys, he's still a backup. Baker, I'm not the biggest Baker fan. You know, I think on the field, does he get shit on maybe a little too much? Yeah, he's probably a little bit better than like the media tends to portray him. But at the same time, from a personal personality standpoint, guy's a complete prick. I really don't like Baker. Have you guys seen the t-shirts that he's selling for this game? If you haven't, go, you know, go hop on Twitter, go check it out, do some Googling. Baker's selling these t-shirts. They look like country western like concert tees. 
It's like Baker Mayfield uh, live and unleashed one night only or one day only um, uh, Carolina versus Cleveland. He's wearing a big cowboy hat and got a nice buck tooth. And there's a broken dog collar on there, you know, unleashed as a, you know, off the leash, no longer on the leash of the Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, Baker. Newsflash. This is this game's only a big deal to you, dude. Like the other 53, 52 guys, whatever it is on the Panthers, this is not a revenge game for them. They don't care, dude. Like you can go and print your fucking t-shirts up, but like this is why I'm having a tough time picking the Panthers. It's because the number says, yeah, take the Panthers. Jacoby Brissett, eight and twenty straight up on the road as a starter, only averages six point zero eight yards per attempt. I think it's going to be a lot of checkdowns for this Browns offense. You can stack the boxes against Chubb and Hunt, and really, they don't have receivers to stretch the field. Peoples-Jones is a, is a decent deep threat, but can Brissett connect down the field? Not sure. We don't know what we're going to get from Amari Cooper and a rookie David Bell here at the receiving core. And I'll pick Carolina, but again, just to, to discuss the narrative real quick, I mean, this is kind of a revenge angle for the entire Browns defense too, right? Like... To me, it's a revenge game for Baker, but it's a revenge game for all 11 of those guys that are going to be hunting Baker down for three hours on Sunday. So this is a game that I can't bet, personally. It's gross. You know, personally, I kind of might be rooting for the Browns just because, as you can tell, I don't like Baker. Um, I think, you know, maybe he salvages his career, but to me, the whole the fact that he's printing T-shirts up and worried about playing against his former team here... He's got his priorities out of whack, so, you know, I don't know. This is going to grab a lot of headlines. It's going to get talked on on SportsCenter, and, you know, it's going to make for some cute, you know, social media shit and some articles. And so I, but I'm not looking to bet it too much. I'll take the Panthers um, by default, I guess. We'll keep it moving with another pretty gross matchup on the Sunday window. We got Jacksonville heading to Washington, the first game in Commander's team history. Look at you guys. You did it. Good for you. Um, Washington minus 2.5 point home favorites, minus 142 on the money line. Jacksonville plus 120 as the road dog, over under 43.5. Give me the Jags, dude. Urban's gone. This team is, is getting ready to get off to a fresh start here. And to me, it's all about narrative here. This is Peterson versus Wentz, right? This is like the Eagles reject bowl over here. Um, the Super Bowl 2017 Misfit Toys game. And I'll give the advantage to Peterson after having coached Wentz in Philly for, you know, four or five seasons, however long they lasted together over there. I'll give the coach or the, you know, the mental edge in here to the coach, not not the quarterback. I think Peterson knows Wentz's strengths and his weaknesses. If there's anybody that has seen Carson Wentz get himself in and out of trouble um, more probably than anyone, it's Doug Peterson. So um, I'll give the advantage to Jacksonville. I think also it's a it's an interesting angle here that this Jags team is is the same team that ended Wentz's time in Indianapolis in that week 18 bloodbath. And, you know, psychologically, I'm going to just I'm going to go forward with the assumption that Carson Wentz is mentally broken. Unfortunately, he used to be my favorite player in the NFL. And now I'm looking to bet against the guy when I can, because his psyche is damaged after the way that Philly you know, kind of did him dirty there. And then Indy giving up on him after only one year. And just when's the last time the guy, you know, read an article or heard, 
you know, a fucking radio host actually say anything good about him. Probably, probably not a whole lot. So I, unfortunately, Wentz, Wentz is broken. And I think having to face this Jags team that broke him last year, probably not great mentally. So give me the Jags. Lastly on this game, Washington 11-23 and against the spread in September home games since 2001. Give me the Jags to bounce back here with their new head coach. Maybe Trevor Lawrence actually looks like an NFL QB. Who knows? Maybe they have to win it by, like I said, confusing Wentz and forcing him into bad positions. But I'll give the advantage to Jacksonville here. Uh, give me the plus two and a half and give me the money line plus 120. So this next game feels really gross and I can't believe I've actually ended up deciding on which side of the spread I'm on here. Um, but <clears throat> we got to talk about it. The 49ers are at the Chicago Bears here and the Bears are plus six and a half home dogs. 49ers minus 330 on the money line. Chicago plus 265 and the over under is 40 and a half. It is the lowest over under of the week. And man, my head is saying one thing and my gut is saying the other thing. So this is unfortunate here, guys. I am the biggest Bears hater on the planet this season. I got to take the Bears plus six and a half here. Fuck, man, this is not fun. You guys can hear how much this is hurting me. Um, but Kyle Shanahan, the fact is, guy doesn't cover spreads as a head coach. In his career as a head coach with the 49ers, dude, is 44 and 42 against the spread. And if you consider all the fucking times the 49ers have been favorites over that margin, the dude just can't cover the number. It's frustrating. And coming into this, I wanted to tell you guys to piss pound the 49ers. I don't think they lose to the Bears. I pray to God they don't lose to the Bears. I have a 49ers over win ticket, and I have a Bears under win ticket. And I also have the 49ers um, to win this game on a teaser that I've had locked in since week three of the preseason here. So I do need this win to happen for the 49ers. But unfortunately, six and a half points in the lowest un over under of the week. I think this game is projected and expected to be a defensive battle. As much as I want to say Trey Lance is going to come out and sling the rock and look like this year's breakout version of Pat Mahomes, unfortunately, the vibes out of San Francisco is that it may take a little bit more time than a lot of us maybe wanted to or expected it to with the whole Trey Lance thing. And the fact is, this offense could be really kind of just focused around that run game and methodical and kind of boring and gross to watch for the first, you know, few weeks of the season until, you know, some chemistry is developed, some timing is developed or who knows. But, you know, I wanted to tell you that the Bears offensive line is the worst in the league, which it is. So I, I can still tell you that. But but the angle is that I, I would think that the 49ers defensive line would be able to just absolutely dominate this Bears O-line, but I'm just worried looking at the number, looking at the cash splits. It's a week one dog of six and a half or more. They cover it 61%. You know, there's a lot of things here just as far as setting off my contrarian spidey sense. I love taking these six and a halves, especially as a home dog, and it's too many points to lay with a Shanahan team with the questions at the offense as far as the cohesion and the quarterback position. I'm not going to bet on the Bears. I'm going to be sitting here praying that I'm wrong about this game. But to be honest, guys, as much as I want to give out 49ers minus six and a half here, 
I think the pick is Chicago plus six and a half. So do with that what you want. It's a stay away game for me. I'm just here to tell you that six and a half for the 49ers maybe too good to be true, in my opinion. We'll see, but this one makes me a little nervous. If you guys couldn't tell, we are in the gross as fuck section of the podcast here, and we're going to keep it moving with that trend. We're going to talk about the Giants and the Titans, uh, maybe the grossest game of the weekend, right? Who the fuck is going to be watching this one? Uh, The Titans are a minus five and a half point favorite, minus 240 on the money line at home. Giants plus 190 to pull off the upset, over-unders 43 and a half. I got a couple of stats here for you. The Titans and non-conference home games under Mike Rabel, 28 and 18 against the spread. On top of that, Daniel Jones, 5-14 and 14 on the road straight up as a starter in the NFL. I will lay the points with the Titans, minus 5.5. I'll say this isn't my favorite. This is not one that I will be betting, I don't believe. But I'll fade Daniel Jones as many times as I can here until we don't have the opportunity anymore. Um, the Titans, I'm not optimistic that they will stay as strong as last year. You know, they're actually dealing with some injuries right now. Uh, Harold Landry, their best pass rusher done for the year. That's not great. This Titans team got caught sleeping week one last year. That's not great. I'm trying to, you know, maybe play a little devil's advocate for the Giants here. This this line actually has been bet down from six and a half to five and a half this week. So I'm kind of going against the line movement here. It's just, it's not a game that I really have researched much, and it's not a game that I'm looking to go out of my way to bet, to be honest. The Titans have a lot of question marks with the turnover at receiving. No A.J. Brown, no Julio Jones, Robert Woods coming off an ACL tear, Traylon Burks, rookie with asthma and conditioning issues who we don't know if this guy is going to be a complete bust or if he's this year's version of Jamar Chase where nothing but bad press throughout the training camp and all of a sudden he comes out and goes for 1400 we don't know there's a lot of vacated targets here in this Tennessee offense but for me I'll take the coaching advantage of Mike Vrabel versus you know Brian Dable in his first game as a head coach maybe I am talking myself into a Titans bet here but yeah if I have to pick this game I'll lay the five and a half with Tennessee at home against just a flat-out bad Giants team Last of the Sunday afternoon games, we got the Chiefs as a five and a half point road favorite in Arizona. Chiefs are minus 250 on the money line, home dog plus 205, over unders 53 and a half. This game's going over. I'll probably just bet the over in this one. I'll tell you guys straight up, this should be a shootout. I don't see how these two teams don't combine for maybe 65 points this Sunday. I want all the fantasy pieces. I think that these quarterbacks should just go back and forth and have themselves a fucking day here. Um, The Chiefs have some downgrades in personnel on the back end of that defense, um, losing, I believe, Tavarius Ward and Tyron Matthew this offseason. They're going to be relying on a rookie Trent McDuffie and coverage back there. And the Cardinals have one of, you know, the worst secondaries on paper in the NFL. Their corners, you know, you probably won't recognize by name. The only starter there in the secondary really is Buda Baker. Um, Offensive shootout here, I'm calling. Uh, I'm going to go with the Chiefs on the spread here. The Chiefs under Andy Reid, 6-3 against the spread in week one. Um... Uh, what else we got? Mahomes, 30-21 and 21 against the spread as a favorite of single digits or less. 
the Cardinals dealing with some injury concerns. Zach Ertz questionable with a calf issue. Rondell Moore questionable, really looking more like doubtful, probably out this Sunday as of uh, the latest news I'm seeing here recording Friday afternoon. The Chiefs, I mentioned, you know, 6-3 and three against the spread in Week 1s with Andy Reid. Their last four years in Week 1, they're averaging 36.25 points per game. That's right, since 2018, 36.25 points per game for the Chiefs offense. And it's just kind of bad vibes for this Cardinals team this offseason. I'm not as high on them due to the, the lack of talent in personnel on that defensive side of the ball. The O-line's not very good. Um, just, you know, you could say that maybe Kyler has a chip on his shoulder, but to me, he doesn't really strike me as the, that's going to make me play better kind of guy. It almost seems like he's the kind of dude that wants to just pout and bitch and go play his video games. So, um, give me the chiefs here to take care of business. JJ Watt on the Cardinals defense, also questionable right now, day to day. Um, with a calf injury as well and no practice on Wednesday. So they lost Chandler Jones this offseason. J.J. could be out or limited. Um, we got Ertz and Rondell Moore both on the injury report. No D-hop because of a suspension for the first six games. If Kyler and Hollywood Brown don't connect for a 50-yard touchdown on every drive, I'm not sure how they can cover this number here. So give me... Give me Kansas City to do what Kansas City does. They'll put up big numbers, and they'll cover a number on the road here. Sunday night football, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into Dallas as a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Dallas, plus 116 on the money line. Tampa Bay, minus 136 to win the game. Over under 50-and-a-half, and I love the Bucs in this spot. Absolutely love it. Give me any and every excuse to bet against the Cowboys on national television. I will do it every fucking time. This reminds me a lot of this Thursday night kickoff game between the Rams and the Bills. Um, the Bucks, to me, in this situation, as a road two-and-a-half point favorite, similar to how Buffalo was road two-and-a-half point favorite in primetime. Um, Joe Public, sitting there on his couch five minutes before kickoff, throwing a parlay together, says... Wow, I can get the defending Super Bowl champs at home at plus money here. Why would I why would I take the road favorite? It's a Super Bowl champs and I can get them plus 125. Yeah, they're going to win tonight. Well, that didn't work out. And you know, that same Joe Public on his fucking FanDuel account is sitting there saying, "Wow, the Dallas Cowboys at plus money." You know, Dallas, America's team, it, you know, if we want to keep that rhetoric going after 30 irrelevant years in the National Football League, they will get public action no matter the opponent. There are fan bases out there like the Cowboys, like the Steelers, like the Raiders and the Packers in certain instances as well, and even the Patriots for quite some time there that will draw public action regardless because they are the Cowboys. They are that brand. They are that, you know, that recognizable, the Nike swoosh, the McDonald's golden arches, the Dallas Cowboy star, right? Fuck Dallas, okay? Tampa Bay is clearly the better team. Um, as a road favorite here, the Bucks are getting less than 40% of the action. Red flags galore there. Sending off my spidey sense like fucking crazy here. Dallas as a home dog getting over 60% here. The public is sucking Dallas's dick by the fucking balls here. <laughs> Sorry for that stupid analogy. You get what I'm saying, guys. We're taking the Bucks here, and we're not overthinking it. All the drama here, the narratives, is Tom Brady you know, focused on football right now, or is he, you know, dealing with marital drama, 
you know, that week-long or 11-day hiatus in training camp, is this Bucks team going to be ready to go? They're going to be ready to go. No worries, no sweat. Give me the Bucks on the money line. Lay the minus two and a half. Dallas will do what Dallas does. They will lose in a big spot on primetime television. Like the Bucks a lot in that spot on Sunday night. Didn't even mention, you know, Dallas uh, very banged up on that offensive line right now. Tyron Smith out for potentially the entire regular season here um, with, uh, I believe, his hamstring or quadricep muscle completely separating off the bone on one of his legs there. Catastrophic injury. They're starting a rookie at left tackle. Uh, They're banged up on other areas of the line. Uh, It's questionable whether they're going to have their full starting five here. Uh, Wide receiver Michael Gallup and James Washington both out for this game they're going to be relying on some rookies and some real depth pieces to step up there to complement cd lamb in the passing game and uh i think that this bucks d line up front with akeem hicks and some of the absolute monsters in that pass rushing room a couple of young guys with joe tryon and logan hall i think that this bucks defense shaquille barrett as well and those linebackers they're going to be able to get after it dallas doesn't have that o-line that they've had in past years to lean on um and this this bucks defense is going to be able to pin their ears back against a, a cowboys team that's probably going to be pass happy again just like they were all last season so you know to repeat myself give me the fucking bucks Our last week one matchup here is an absolute fucking doozy and a half. We got the Russell Wilson Revenge Tour kicking off, heading up to Seattle. You know, no uh, lack of drama here in this Monday night kickoff game. Uh, The Broncos minus six and a half on the road at Seattle, uh, minus 270 on the money line. Seahawks plus 220 to pull off the upset over under 44 and a half. And man, this six and a half, I told you guys, these six and a halves and two and a halves really jump off the page to me. And I, you know, I want to sit here and say that Denver minus six and a half is too good to be true and that you should be looking to take the um, value on the home dog here getting six and a half early in the season. But you know what? Can't do it. Give me Denver minus six and a half here. This is a line that moved from four and a half to six and a half over the last month or so. And to me, that's the biggest indicator that tells me it's safe to bet on Denver here. That is a pretty drastic uh, jump in line movement. I think that this narrative is pretty easy, you know, to spout here. Russell Wilson's going to go the fuck off week one. That's my take, and I'm sticking to it here. You know, if I have to change my opinion, we'll see. But I just picked a lot of dogs to go ahead and show up Sunday. And I think that we see the weekend end um, with a favorite kind of uh, just making the public once, you know, for one last final time in week one, say, do I actually understand anything about what the fuck's going on here? Can I figure this shit out? Because we've got, you know, a road favorite covering on Thursday night and then we've got home dogs eating on Sunday and then we've got another road favorite on Monday to close it out. But that's that's the situation I see playing out based on personnel, based on the rosters here. I don't see how Seattle can cover the firepower that Denver is going to be hitting them with on offense. Um, Seattle, just not a good roster in general. And, you know, maybe Pete Carroll can get them up and get them motivated and get this team to rally for this one game. Kind of similar to almost how I talked about, like, Lovey Smith's angle with the Texans. That veteran head coach that can get a little bit of rah-rah for a week or two, you know, 
Um, I think Seattle will become exhausted over the course of this season as the losses continue to pile up, but maybe they have a little week one energy here. And let's not forget, just like I talked about in that Browns-Panthers breakdown, this is a revenge game for Russ, but it's a revenge game for 53 guys in Seattle. So if there's anything that makes me nervous about my Denver pick here, it's those factors. That said, gut check, give me Russ to fuck this team up. I, I, I'm a big believer in Russ and this Broncos team. I've actually picked them to win the AFC West this year in the most loaded division in football. I've got Denver coming out on top. I really think that I just, you know, this whole this whole breakdown is basically Russ, 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 right? And I'm just going to be on Team Russ here. I'm not going to bet against him in this spot. We've seen quarterbacks, you know, come into situations like this and just get off immediately to a hot start in past years, you know, with the Bucks and Brady and with the Rams and Stafford and even Peyton Manning going over to Denver. I mean, we've seen this, we we've seen this, uh, you know, time and time again. And I I just think um, Seattle's secondary is not going to be able to fuck around with Russell Wilson here. And I I think it's a statement game. I think Russ comes out and puts his dick down on Seattle and says, "Hey, I'm here to go and win a championship." Because uh, we haven't been able to compete in quite some time in Seattle, and I've got weapons in Denver now. So, you know, let's end this episode with a cheesy-ass joke. Let's ride, right, Russ? Let's ride. We got to say it. We had to say it here. If we're picking the Broncos, we had to say it at least once. I think the Russell Wilson era gets off to a hot start in Denver. I'm going to be a believer in this team. Uh, you know, maybe Denver bites me in the ass three years in a row here because I have been a believer regardless of the quarterback talent on the roster, but it, it feels different this year, and I'm willing to take um, the big Monday night performance from Russ. I, I just, at the end of the day, if I lose this pick, which side am I going to feel like more of an asshole for picking? I just I'll sleep at night better if I go with the Broncos on this one so that's the pick for me it's pretty simple and that's going to do it for my episode here guys you know we made it through all the picks I'm trying to keep these relatively clean keep the pace up here so hopefully we accomplish that um, I reserve you know my final picks for Sunday morning I will be putting out a video Sunday morning giving out my three top spread picks and my three top underdog picks so pay attention for those Sunday mornings on the Instagram page at SGRPod. If you guys uh, did not like the way that I covered your game of your favorite team or the game that you were most interested in, or if you guys have any additional information for me that I have not gone over on this podcast, you know, I'm, you know, I'll take all the fucking info I can get if you got something for me over here. So hit me up, Instagram and Twitter at SGRPod. Until then, guys, this is the week one episode. This has been SGR100. I cannot wait to play some of these bets this Sunday. Hope you guys have plenty of good luck on your side as well if you get down on any of this action. I will talk to you next week, and until then, ramble on.